0: Some years ago, in one of his Peanuts cartoons, Charles Schultz pictured Charlie Brown bringing out Snoopy's dinner on Thanksgiving Day, and it was just his usual dog food in a bowl. So Snoopy took one look at the dog food and said, this isn't fair. The rest of the world today is eating turkey and all the trimmings, and all I get is dog food. Why? Because I'm a dog. All I get is dog food. And he stood there and stared at his bowl for a little bit. And then he said, I guess it could be worse. I could be a turkey. (laughs) Andre Crouch sang that familiar song, How Can I Say Thanks for the Things You Have Done for Me? And I'd like to turn those words around a little bit from the negative in a little bit direction because we see some of this in the 116th Psalm. How can I say thanks when there's so much difficulty in my life? How can I say thanks when one dumb thing happens after another? How can I say thanks when my health isn't so good or my income is in jeopardy or I'm completely out of work or I I can't pay my bills or I'm worried about something or, or someone? And when I am able to muster some level of gratitude because after all, it's thanksgiving, how can I express it without being hypocritical? How can I express it with that certain level of joy and that gratitude that our Savior and our God deserve? We don't always feel thankful, do we? Especially if our circumstances aren't so good. I think we can all relate with the experience of a trucker, at least in principle. Late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking motorcycle guys came in, that Hell's Angels type, and they decided to give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another grabbed a handful of french fries, and another one took a drink of his coffee. I wonder how you would respond. Maybe out of fear, I don't know what we would do. Well, this trucker did not respond the way that we might expect. Instead, he calmly rose, picked up the check, walked to the front of the room, put the check and his money on the cash register, and went out the front door. The waitress followed him to put the money into the till, and she watched him as he went out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, he ain't much of a man, is he? And she replied, I don't know about that, but he ain't much of a truck driver either. He ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. (laughs) Maybe that comes under the heading, don't get mad, get even. And that's the attitude that the psalmist could have taken in Psalm 116, but he didn't. We don't know whether the sorrow in his life, the great distress which threatened his very life, he was close to death, It could have been a serious illness or maybe it was persecution by his enemies who were trying to kill him, which is most likely. But the psalmist who was greatly afflicted to the point that, quote, he says, the terrors of Sheol came upon me. He cried out and lashed out to his own alarm that, quote, all men are liars. And he doesn't even listen to the politicians that we have in our country today. But he was alarmed that he could even think of such a thing, that he would say such a thing. He felt like the whole world of men were against him. He struggled through mortal terror and deep anguish against all mankind. It's like the old saying, you're not paranoid when someone is out to get you. And the 116th Psalm is like a giant spiritual mood swing of great distress and sorrow threaten the psalmist's life, until he reached a point of quiet happiness of heart, sheltered in the love of God, and wholly surrendered to the bliss of being able to give his God thanks, even to the point of wanting to express his thanks vocally by giving thanks to God and by wanting to live thanks before God and living in such a way that he would repay God, he would repay the Lord for all the things that he had done for him. How do you go from bitterness and despair against all mankind to giving God thanks and serving him in a way that seeks to render to him, to pay him back for all his benefits towards you? That is what we're going to see in this psalm. So please turn to 116th psalm, beginning at verse 1. The 116th psalm with the first verse opens with a confession of love for God which sums up the essence of this entire psalm. We give and live thanks because of our love for God. Verse 1 of this 116th psalm. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. It's really unusual for a psalm to begin with an expression of love for God. It's more common for the psalmist to speak of trusting God or seeking refuge in God or waiting for God. And given the the psalmist's distress and sorrow, it would seem like trust and refuge or waiting for God would be his first thought. But the psalmist begins with his love, a confession of his love for God. The word translated love here does not connote so much an emotion as much as it speaks of commitment and loyalty. Love in the Old Testament is a covenant word of, of relationship. In fact, we see it a couple of times in the book of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 21, the word love refers to David's relationship with King Saul. There wasn't much love there, as we think of it emotionally, because King Saul was chasing David all over, the, all over the countryside, trying to do him in. But David, early in his life, had made a loyal commitment to Saul, and he was going to live by that commitment, by that covenant. And it also referred to David's relationship to Jonathan, Saul's son, where in 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, it says, Jonathan made a covenant or an agreement With David, because he loved him as himself. The psalmist is saying in verse 1 of this psalm that he is fully committed and loyal to God. And he gives the reason for that commitment and loyalty because the Lord, in verse 1, has heard my voice and my supplication. The Lord has heard his prayers. The Lord has answered his prayers. The psalmist shares an intimate communion with God, which fills his heart with the assurance that God answers his prayer. And because of the certitude and assurance, he says in verse 2, Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. That is commitment. I will call upon him as long as I live. And then in verses 3 through 11 here, the psalmist fills in the blanks as it were. He recounts his experience of God in distress and in prayer. And watch how the mood swings in these verses. Verse 3. The cords of death encompassed me. And the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh, Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our Lord is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men Are liars. And now in verses 12 through 19, the psalmist is going to show us how he both gave thanks and he lived thanks. His expression of love and commitment and loyalty to God in very tangible ways. First of all, in verses 12 through 14, he's going to show us how to live and give thanks to God through our praise and our testimony. And then in verse 15, how to live and give thanks to God by saying things from God's perspective. And then verses 16 through 19, how to live and give thanks through our service to him while we still have life. So first of all, you live and give thanks to God through your praise and testimony of your obedience. In verse 12, the psalmist asks a provocative question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Literally, it's what shall I return to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What can I give back to God? What do you give the person who has everything and is everything? What could we possibly give to God who doesn't have any needs or whatever? The, the Hebrew word translated render or return here is used almost a thousand times in the Old Testament. It's one of the most common words in the Bible. The Hebrew word is shub, shub, S H U B. It means to return, to answer, to give back, it's used of repentance, to repent in the Old Testament, to pay back. In a negative sense, it was used of Joseph's brothers who sold him into Egypt. They sold Joseph into slavery, and years later, when they found out that Joseph was the number two man in the kingdom of Egypt, his brothers worried, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and shubes us for all the wrong that we did for him? What if he pays us back in full for all the wrong? And so, of course, Joseph didn't. He forgave them. But Psalm 116, verse 12 could very well be translated. What shall I shew to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall I pay back in full to the Lord? And as we're going to see, the psalmist here is sending much more than just a thank you card. More than a thank you card. How often is our worship and our expressions of gratitude to the Lord limited to what we say vocally, or what we sing vocally, or what we pray vocally? Like sending God a thank you card. Now praise, the sacrifice of our lips, is essential to worship. But in this sense, it's not giving back. And therefore, it does not fully express our devotion and loyalty to God. What shall I render to the Lord what shall I shew to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And the psalmist declares three ways in verses 12 through 14. Three very tangible ways. The first way of giving back to the Lord is in verse 13. In the second part, or the first part of the verse. I shall lift up the cup of salvation. I shall lift up the cup of salvation. With the cup of salvation, there's a tremendous meaning and depth of insight into this that goes way beyond the psalmist words here. The cup of salvation in the Old Testament originally referred to what is called the libation offering or the drink offering. According to Exodus chapter 29 verse 30, the drink offering was to be made, consisted of very special ingredients, mostly wine, but very fragrant ingredients and it was offered up with a burning sacrifice. The priest would hold up the cup of these very special ingredients and uh, symbolizing offering it up to God, and then he would pour it out on the burning sacrifice, and the sizzle and the aroma would be that symbolism of offering it up to God as an acceptable sacrifice, which the Old Testament says, God says it smells great. It it was good to his, his nose, as it were. And so it was a picture of complete and total sacrifice to God because it's all poured out. It's all poured out. You might remember in his last days when Paul writes to Timothy, Paul says as he's in that prison cell and he's dying and he's cold, he wants his coat, and he just can't do anything more. He says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I have given my all in service to God. And the psalmist is saying he'll hold up the cup of salvation, he'll offer it to the Lord in response to God's salvation of him, and then as a symbol of his love and loyalty and sacrifice to God, he will offer it offer it all to the Lord in sacrifice. And then the cup of salvation also became associated with the celebration of Passover. Four cups of wine are lifted up at the Passover, the cedar meal as we as it's called today. And the third cup was the cup of salvation. The cup that signified God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. The third cup. And it was this third cup that the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up in that upper room with his disciples. And Jesus lifted it up and said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So how do we offer up? How do we lift up the cup of salvation and give him back to the Lord? Lifting up shows that it's a public proclamation. It's a public testimony. It's letting other people know what the Lord has done and will continue to do for us. That is why at the Lord's Supper, Paul said, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Paul said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Because the cup of salvation has been lifted up as a testimony for all to see. In our commitment and loyalty to God, we lift up for everyone to see what it means to have salvation in Jesus Christ. Some time ago, there was a travelogue on TV concerning a group of explorers who were searching in Africa for a vanishing tribe of people. And in the course of their travels, they came across some natives who for centuries made their home on the banks of this particular river or stream. Now that in itself did not cause wonder until they were showed the polluted stream on which they had made their homes on the banks. The stream was filled with dirt and every kind of contamination imaginable. And the natives had developed a special method of swishing away on the top of the water, moving the big chunks out of the way, before scooping it up to drink. Now does the food smell good that we smell (laughs) in the basement. And one of the explorers took his canteen, and he poured out a cup of crystal clear water, And he handed it to one of the aged women in the tribe, and she had one of those faces that was wrinkled as a prune. She took the cup, she pressed it to her lips, and she didn't put it down until she had drank the whole thing. Then through an interpreter, she said that she had never dreamed that there was anything in this world as sweet and as wonderful as that. That is what the world is without Christ. They, too, drink from polluted streams just swishing the chunks out of the way because they've never known anything better. And when they finally taste the crystal waters of eternal life, they proclaim that never before had they realized that there was anything so sweet and wonderful as Jesus Christ. The old woman was forced to go back to her polluted ways. But thank God we who are partakers of the living waters of salvation never need to go back. So the first way of giving back to the Lord is lifting up the cup of salvation. The second way of giving back is to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 13 of Psalm 16 again. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And in calling upon his name, the psalmist pledges to show faithfulness by completely depending upon the Lord. And what he says, and what he says to do, and how we are supposed to do it. Remember that Jesus said in that upper room with the disciples, he said to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. But instead of abiding in the vine, what do we do? How often do we get out there on the limb before we cry out to God and cry out for help in time of need? We honor God and we give back to him before we ever move out by calling upon his name. The great Civil War General Stonewall Jackson said, I never seal a letter without putting a word of prayer under the seal. I never receive a dispatch from the post without a brief sending of my thoughts upwards. I never meet my troops without a moment's petition on those who go out and those who come in. Everything calls me to prayer. Everything calls me to prayer. At one point, the psalmist David cried out, usually translated in in the the modern translations, he said, I am a man of prayer. But the words a man have been added. Literally what David said, I am prayer. I am prayer. That is my first instinct. That is what, what I do. So the first way of giving back to the Lord is lifting up the cup of salvation The second way of giving back is to call upon the name of the Lord. And the third way is in verse 14. I shall pay my vows to the Lord, O may it be in the presence of all his people. You know, we don't seem to give much thought to vows these days, except in the case of weddings and testifying in court. And we we give less thought to vows, I think, when we come to our relationship with the Lord. Now, simply viewed in the Bible, what is a vow? Offering a vow is practicing a kind of credit card act of worship. In other words, a vow is a promise to worship God or to sacrifice in a certain way or to serve him a certain way, motivated by gratitude for what God has done. And the reason for the delay is that the offerer was not at that moment able to make the offering. You know, in some instances, I... I, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. As soon as I go to the temple and I worship you, my vow, I'm going to do this. And the psalmist says, oh, may it be in the presence of, of all his, his people. So it's kind of a credit card act of, of worship when as soon as you have opportunity to, to offer that unto the Lord. But the vow also could be a promise to serve God in a certain way. Whereas a person, you devoted yourself to God for a specific purpose. The Apostle Paul kept such a vow in Acts chapter 18, which he symbolized by not cutting his hair. Now, that sounds a whole lot like what we call the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. The Nazarite vow of which John the Baptist kept in the New Testament. Uh, Kind of funny food that he'd eat there too, but anyway, it was part of the, the Nazarite vow. And since the Lord Jesus said that we are not to swear by anything, but we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no... Some say that it's wrong for Christians to take an oath or to make a vow. Now, Jesus was referring to the erroneous view that the Pharisees had who had turned oath-taking and vows into a deception. They would say, well, if you swear by one thing, it counts. If you swear by another thing, it doesn't count. So if you swear by the temple, then it counts. But if you swear by the base of the temple, that doesn't count. It's kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back. It was their way of getting out of the vow. So what was Jesus saying when he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no? In other words, he's saying, keep your vows. Keep your commitments. It's a serious thing to renege on a vow that you made before God. And we express our love, our loyalty and commitment to God by paying our vows that we make to him. And the psalmist declares twice in the 116th Psalm in verses 14 and 17 that he wants to do it in the presence of all his people. He wants people to be there. Why? Not so they can see him make his vow. He's not like the Pharisee who would blow a trumpet when he'd give a gift or stand on the busiest street corner in town and uplift in his prayers. He wanted people to know how great his God was. And he would keep his vows. The rubber hits the road when a vow is made public or is performed in public And that's why wedding vows are before God and the congregation. Winston Churchill once attended a formal banquet in London where the dignitaries were asked a very pointed question. They were to go around one at a time and answer this question. If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? And here's Winston Churchill, the man who had saved Europe <laughs> during, during World War II, literally. So naturally, everybody was curious, who would Winston Churchill want to be if he wasn't Winston Churchill and he was seated next to his beloved Clemmy. What would Winston Churchill say? When it was finally came to the turn of the old man, Mr. Churchill, the last respondent to the question, he rose and gave his answer. If I could not be who I am... I would most like to be, and he reached down and he took his, hands, his wife's hand, Lady Churchill's second husband. <laughs> That's a clever way to express your vows and not renege on the vows that you have already taken publicly many years before. Now, verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 116, or at least 15, seem to be a little misplaced after committing to his vows. The psalmist says in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. I'm not sure a funeral service goes by that I don't read that or, or reference that. So there's, there's a preciousness in... in uh, coming into God's presence and God welcoming us home for eternity with him. But that word precious there also has another meaning because it also can mean costly. Costly. Costly is the death of his godly ones. How costly was it to the Lord? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. perish. And what psalm is showing us here, that we need to see things from God's perspective. See life and death from God's perspective. See eternity from God's perspective. And when we see things from God's perspective, we not only recognize the cost, what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ for us to live in God's presence, we also recognize that if our troubles take us out and we die... We have that great promise of the great shepherd in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's living, following Christ. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When we have God's perspective on both death and life, following Him in life, and loving Him for all eternity, we give and live thanks before the Lord. So verse 16 speaks of our living thanks to God by honoring and praising Him through our service to Him and our service to others. Verse 16, O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. He's using an analogy here because the handmaid was the lowest of the lowest of the servants. So what would it be to be the son of a handmaid? <laughs> it would be even lower. I'm one of the lowest of your servants. In other words, I am totally disposed to you and to your will. Lord, I put, your, I put myself at your disposal. Where you say to go, I will go. What you say to do, I will do. While you tell me to say, I will say. Verse 17, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord, O may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. From distress, great sorrow, from the terrors of Sheol, coming to the point of right at death's door, The psalm, by the end of the psalm, he expresses that quiet happiness of a heart. Heart sheltered in the love of God. And a heart solely, wholly surrendered to the bliss of being able to give him thanks. Even to the point of wanting to express his thanks not only by giving thanks, but by living thanks. Living thanks before God, before God's people. By living in such a way that he would repay the Lord for all the things that he had done for him. I don't know if uh, Andre Crouch based his familiar song on the 116th Psalm, but his words certainly express the same attitude as the psalmist. Andre Crouch asked, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? The psalmist echoes, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Crouch goes on, Thanks so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The psalmist says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. To you I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving all that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. I shall pay my vows to the Lord, or may it be in the presence of his people. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, for the things he has done. With his hand, with his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live my life, and let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. And if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. At our in-gathering dinner today, we're going to give you the opportunity to put Psalm 116 into practice in your own life. What shall you render to the Lord? What will you give unto the Lord by living thanks? What will be your sacrifice of thanksgiving? Instead of receiving monetary offerings that are in gathering today, we're asking that each one of us prayerfully and earnestly consider how we will commit ourselves to the Lord's work among us this coming year. What will you render unto the Lord? Prayerfully consider what you think would be or what you would think would benefit the spiritual health and effectiveness of our own congregation. As we desire Christ to build his church here. We want to be part of that. We want to participate with him. In bringing people to salvation. In welcoming them into our fellowship. And into to, uh, worship with us. Of having the privilege and duty of obeying the master by discipling them. And coming alongside them in encouragement. Now the Lord may be calling you to commit yourself to faithfully and regularly praying for a particular aspect of our body life together. He may be asking you to commit yourself to a particular way of serving him and serving those in our congregation. A particular ministry in the church. He may be asking you to be intentional and uh, about sharing your faith of inviting people to come to him or or seeing to it that certain needs are met in the congregation. I'm just throwing out ideas. Let the Holy Spirit do the hard work. The opportunities are as many as or more than the people who are gathered here this morning. And as the Lord leads you in your commitment, it may be a service or ministry that you'll need to keep prayerfully considering and discuss with others in the fellowship as as it develops under the Lord's leading. It may be something you'll want to ask someone in the church to partner with you to keep you accountable to your, to your commitment. God already has in mind what the possibilities are that he's going to do in and through us as we obey him and, and glorify him. At the end gathering, there, will be, there are sheets in your bulletin this morning, and there's two copies in there, so you can keep a copy for yourself. You can fill it out, place it in a sealed envelope with your name on the back, the basket, we'll put them in the basket, and uh, it's going to be between you and the Lord from, from that point on, unless you share it with somebody else that, that you want to, either in accountability or, or spiritual support. And the envelopes will be kept in a safe place and returned to you at a later date. So as we all already begin in prayerful consideration of that, shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, even now as we come before you and humble ourselves before you in prayer, as your servants who desire that uh, you make known to each one of us who you are and what you want us to do, as we answer the question, how can we give back to you for the benefits toward us? How can we live thanks for the things you have done for us, things so undeserved? yet you gave to prove your love for us. And Father, if there's one or more here this morning who hasn't lifted the cup of salvation, who has not received the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his or her sin, or one who has gotten away from you and, and how he or she lives or in commitment to you as your servant, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would draw that one close to you right now. Bring them into right relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.